0: Well, today we look uh, again at the Heaven Series, uh, Original uh, Gated Community. This is week four. Uh, And let me just do a quick review. We began this um, series on Heaven uh, the Sunday after Easter. That's the day we celebrate, of course, the resurrection of Christ and uh, our promise of eternal life and our resurrection based upon His resurrection. And so, it was a good time for us to look at this whole concept and process about Heaven because... Honestly, I think uh, in our culture and society today we don't hear as much about heaven as we should. We certainly don't hear as much about hell as we should. And those are the only two places that you have as a choice to spend eternity. And you're going to go to one or the other. And so I wanted us to hear about heaven and hopefully that would entice you. And as that uh, video ended that you might be excited about that. Because I don't think that we talk a whole lot about being excited about heaven anymore like we should. But we began uh, uh, this whole series with... uh, A picture out of Revelation 7 called A Hint of Heaven. And we talked about the fact that we would be part of a great uh, diverse multitude of people from every tribe and every nation and every language group from all over the world. And it would be a great celebration and we will know a level of life that we've never experienced before. Then the next week we looked at heaven as our eternal home out of John 14 and Revelation 21. And Jesus talked about going to prepare that home for us. In Revelation 21 we got a better picture of it. And we saw that heaven is a real place. You can't find it on a map. You can fly in out of space. You can't find it. But it's a real place that God has prepared for us. Then we looked at how Revelation described it. And it's a regal place. Beautifully and ornately decorated. And ready for our arrival. Uh, at a later time. And that's in the new heaven, new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And then we saw though that it is restricted with the gates. It reminds us we have to have a reservation. We have to be prepared to go to this place that is prepared for us. And then last week we got a little more in depth. We looked um, uh, at uh, uh, a timeline that I gave to you from the premillennial, pre-tribulational theological stance that I have on that. That Christ is going to come, rapture the church before the tribulation. Then there's the seven-year tribulation. Then Christ comes after that in what is known as actually the second coming. He establishes that thousand-year reign on earth, which is the millennium. We come down with Him. We reign with Him. And after that thousand years is over, Satan is let loose one more time. And then there's the ultimate end of Him, the great white throne judgment of all the unsaved. And then comes new heaven, new earth, and new Jerusalem. So today I want us to think about answering some of the questions uh, that we have certainly raised during this time, and i 'm sure that you 've got them, and we won 't answer them all, but a lot of them are grouped in uh, in this message for today about relationships, so we 'll talk about what will our relationships be like in heaven. next week we 'll talk about what will our relationship with God be like in heaven and then when we end this series, two weeks from today, we will talk about well what do we do for all eternity if we don 't float on the clouds, learn to play harps and all that kind of stuff, what do we do? so here are two reasons why. I felt the need for us to do this series on heaven one is i don 't think we 're as excited about it as we should be i don 't think we talk about it as often as we should i don 't think we know as much about it as we should There are all kinds of uh, all kinds of ideas about heaven and and uh, I just hope to, to bring you straight from the Bible what it says about heaven and how we go and and what 's there and how we live and the other, thing, the other reason is so that Maybe we would, uh, as we think about heaven and look at the pictures up through the Scriptures, uh, increase the, the interest level in heaven. we talk about it more. We would get more excited about going to, to heaven, knowing what is there, and knowing what awaits us. Now, I think there are, if you, you just look through any bookstore you want to look, or even in grocery stores, and you will find a plethora of books about heaven, all kinds of different titles. People have recommended a lot of them to me. And, and most of them I've kind of sta- sta- uh, stayed away from because I, I wanted to deal with, with the biblical and theological concept of it. And most of these that I see out there, they talk about heaven is real or the proof of heaven and all that. You know, I, I do it from the, from the biblical perspective. I don't care what people have experienced out there. Whether they've had a near-death experience or they had a death experience and they were brought back. Most of them talk about uh, seeing a great uh, uh, light. It wasn't blinding, but a light and like a tunnel and all of that. You know, and and that's fine if that's what they experience. But I wanted to go by by the Bible. And what does the Bible teach us and tell us? Because if you sit down and talk to most people about heaven, you know, I, I, I use this illustration all the time. I sat at a funeral, and here they talk about I know grandmama's up there dancing on gold streets of gold right now. And I'm sitting there saying, no, that hasn't come yet. That doesn't come till after Jesus comes back, and the millennial reign is ended, and then." We have that new heaven, new earth with the streets of gold and all those kinds of things. Now, I don't want to pour cold water on the fact that Grandmama died and she went to heaven. But she's there. But she's not dancing on the streets of gold yet. Okay? So, I, I want us to get a, a strong biblical concept about heaven and get things in proper perspective. So, I recommend to you the books that I gave to you on the, on the sheet last week. There's are still some of those lying around out here. Uh, and our, our library, our media center here at the church has um, some some great books on display about that that will help you understand more about heaven. I think one of the other reasons that we needed to address this issue is because we don't talk about heaven, we don't think about heaven because we're living in an affluent uh, uh, lifestyle, uh, self-indulgent lifestyle that basically we want it, we get it. Anything for our comfort, we get it, we want it, you know, and that's it. And, and so we've, we're pretty content here. With what we have, and so we don't look beyond what we have and the life beyond us. Knowing, if you read the Scriptures, how wonderful it's going to be just in the brief descriptions that we have of Heaven. And knowing also that the Bible tells us that you just can't even imagine what's going to be there. And so I wanted us to have that excitement, a sense of excitement about that. And maybe get rid of some of the cynical views that some people have about Heaven. Mark Twain was a gifted writer. You know, from Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn and whatever else you've read by him. But evidently he didn't believe in an afterlife, or he was very cynical about it. He said, you can take heaven, I'd rather go to Bermuda. And, and when you live with that kind of viewpoint, you, you're absolutely contrary to what the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3.11. That God has placed eternity in our heart. That there is a longing in our heart for eternity. Many, many centuries ago, Job asked that question, if a man die, will he live again? See, I think that's the desire of people. They really want to know that. And, but these things that we live in in our culture and our society today kind of leave people with a, with a thought like it's all here, it's now, or it's never. And that's certainly not what the Bible teaches us. But when you have that attitude, when you're cynical, when you don't have any hope, when you don't have Christ as Savior, then I think the line from Macbeth comes to, to put, play very strongly. At, after the queen's death, the line says that life is nothing but a tale told by an idiot, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. And you see, that's just, a, that's just a defeatist attitude about life. And a lot of people have that attitude, you know. And then I think there's another reason why we need to be excited about heaven, and that's because there are plenty of people who've never heard about heaven, who don't understand about heaven, and, and they're not going to heaven when they die. Some of them are family members. Some of them are your friends. Some of them are your neighbors. Some of them are your co-workers. And we need to think about heaven more, talk about heaven more, so that we can get other people excited about going to heaven. Why? Well, because we live in this world, we die, and then there's the reality of eternity. And it's one of two places, either heaven or hell. Every day in this world, 155,520 people die around the world. You think about that. In the last minute that passed, that's 107 people that have died, just like that. In the United States, there's one death every 14 seconds. Look at you watching time, 14 seconds. Somebody just died. And the reality is that some of them will go to heaven. But if every statistic about our our, our country in which we live today is true, 65% of the people are lost. That means 65% of everybody who dies is not going to heaven, they are going to hell. And so we need to be excited about heaven. And we need to talk about heaven, we need to think about heaven. But here again we come back to dealing with some of the questions that we have about it. Well I think that the better we're prepared to answer other questions that people have. Then maybe we understand it better. Maybe we get excited about it more. Maybe we get them excited more about heaven. So today we're going to talk about relationships in heaven. I want you to look with me uh, at Revelation five. Uh, we'll read these first fourteen verses because, um, as I looked at, uh, you know, what what is it. T- heaven teach us about relationships? What does it teach us about our relationship with God? And what does it tell us we're going to be doing all of eternity? A portion of all of that is here in Revelation 5. It's a vision John has of worship and the scroll and the Lamb. And he writes and says, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll?'" But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain standing in the center of the throne encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a heart, and, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. Well we see a lot there, a lot of that excitement there. That's basically a passage about worship. But it talks about the fact that the angels are there surrounding the throne, 24 elders. Then it talks about the fact that they are singing, worthy is the Lamb. We see the Lamb taking the scroll and has the power, authority, and ability to open that. And we see that the word serve is there, that we are going to serve God. That is one of the things we are going to do in our relationship with Him. And one of the things we are going to do for all eternity. And so very quickly I want us to look at, at three groups of people and ask about the relationship that we will have with them. First of all would be this, what will be our relationship to the angels in heaven? We see the angels are there, they are around the throne. What are angels? They are created beings. There was a certain number of them created. The picture here we have here is just an unknown number. Of thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands. And angels are created beings, they are spiritual beings, used basically as worshipers of God and messengers for God. Some of them we know by name, they had direct... uh, Influence in in people's lives sent by God with a message for them, and and we know them in that way. But we also know that wherever God is in the Scripture, that there are angels with Him, and so we know the angels will be there, and we will be there. So, how will we relate to them? Three ways. First of all, we'll fellowship with the angels. When you look at uh, verse eleven in Revelation five, you will see that the angels are there. They're around the throne. We're going to be there, and we're going to fellowship. With the angels, if you can just imagine that. Thousands upon thousands upon ten thousands of angels. And we will be right there with them and we will have wonderful fellowship with them in the presence of God. And we will have that fellowship for all eternity. The second thing is that we will rejoice with them. In Luke 15, that gospel, Jesus begins chapter 15 by telling us three stories about three things that were lost a coin, a sheep, and a son. And then we're told in the midst of that, when all of those are found, we're told in in Luke 15, 10, in the same way I say, uh, uh, in in the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I want you to think about this. Every time somebody gets saved, every time somebody comes from, from darkness into light, every time somebody comes from death into life, every time somebody accepts Christ as Savior and repenting of their sin, the angels in heaven rejoice. They throw a party and they celebrate. Well, think about it this way. When we come to Heaven, we're going to be complete in our salvation. That's what the Bible teaches us. Now, if the angels rejoice when we are saved, think about the rejoicing they're going to have over us when we come into Heaven and our salvation is complete. You might want to call it our coronation. We're going to fellowship with them. We're going to rejoice with them. And then there's a third thing that we're going to do. And that is that we're going to worship with them. When you look at that picture there in Revelation 5 you see the angels are a part of that gathering around the throne worshiping the Lamb. And we're going to be worshiping the Lamb as well. And we're going to be a part of that group along with the elders and the, beast that, the, the living creatures that are there and the angels that are there and we're going to worship with them. I think it tells us if we read correctly that they were the ones who, who were singing and joining in that singing. And I just wonder what an angelic choir is going to sound like, and we'll get to sing along with them and worship with them. So that answers the first question: What's our relationship to the angels? We need to study up on that a little bit. And remember, we don't become angels. A certain number of them were created; no more have been created. They're God's messengers. They're spiritual beings. They do not reproduce. Okay, so that's angels. That's how we relate to them. Now let's move into family relationships, and the question is: How will we? What will be our relationship? to our family. And you see that involves questions like, what about my marriage? Will we be reunited in Heaven? Will we be married? What about my family? And how will we relate as a family? Well, let's start out by saying this, what will be our relationship to our family? Number one, family relationships in Heaven will be perfect. Now, won't that be exciting? Sunday mornings are one of the most hectic times in the households of America for people who go to church. Amen especially if you have children. Really especially if you've got teenagers. Or you've got a lazy spouse and nobody wants to get up and nobody wants to prepare and nobody wants to get going and get there. Just think about that. You won't have to fight that battle in Heaven. There's going to be a perfect relationship in your family. You don't have to get after somebody to take out the trash, wash the clothes, make up their bed, clean up their room, pick up their dirty socks, hang up their towel, all those kinds of things here in this world that just aggravate the starch out of you. None of that is going to take place in heaven. Why? It's going to be a perfect place. And we will be perfected there. So, we will have family relationships, yes, but it will be in perfect love, perfect peace, perfect joy, perfect harmony, perfect trust, perfect fellowship, perfect relationship in every dimension of life. You won't dread family reunions. And having to put up with Uncle So-and-so or Aunt So-and-so. You know, you, you don't have to dread that anymore. And you don't have to miss church anymore to go to a family reunion. Why don't you have them on Saturday instead of Sundays? I don't understand that, but I guess it's for my vocation, okay? So it will be a family relationship that's perfect in every way. Now, this might throw you for a curve when I ask you this question: what about marriage? Let's think about marriage here. From the beginning of time God ordained marriage. Jesus went to the wedding at Cana in Galilee and He said His blessing upon that marriage and forever blessed marriage. And the Bible affirms for us that marriage is good. It was God's intention from the beginning for a man and a woman. And we know that's being challenged all over our culture and our society today. It's not same-sex marriage. It is a man and a woman for a lifetime together of committed love. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. And that marriage relationship between a man and a woman is designed as that process of two people distinctly, and sexual beings, thought processes, bodies, all that kind of thing to become one. And that's a challenge. Somebody asked the questions about well, how do they know which one they're going to become. The answer is it's it's the one that you allow God to mold you into. That's the one that you start and begin. Marriage is given to us for fulfillment and completion. Marriage is given to us as a representative here on earth, as a relationship between Christ and His church. That's why it's called holy matrimony. It's a holy estate. That's why your vows are so sacred. That's why you need to understand how you should grow and love and nurture your marriage because your marriage represents the relationship between Christ and the church. Now, here's the bombshell. When we get to heaven, we are not married. We don't marry in heaven. We don't carry that relationship over. We are not married in heaven. You say, Well, you know, I've had a wonderful, strong, loving marriage. We've been married 65 years. Will I see my hu- wife in heaven? Yeah, you see it. Will I see my husband? Yes. Will we be reunited in a certain way? But you will not be married. That saddens some of you. Some of you sitting there with a smirk on your face. You better wipe it off. Why would we not be married in Heaven? See, one of the things it does is it takes away the problems of multiple spouses and how would you relate there? See, God doesn't approve of polygamy here, so He won't in Heaven either, will He? You know, it, it, that, that's one of the issues that will be solved. I told you when we began this, there are probably more jokes on Heaven uh, and people are telling them to me all the time now that I'm through this series. But one that, I, one that I'll share with you at this point is this, that a woman arrived at the, at the pearly gates and she looked through to saw all the beauty there. She saw friends, she saw family, and how beautiful it was. And they were calling to her time to come on in, come on in. So St. Pete meets her at the Curly Gates. And he doesn't do that, you know, that this is a joke, okay? So St. Pete met her, and she says, oh, this is such a wonderful place. What do I have to do to get in? Well, we know what you really have to do to get in. You have to believe in Jesus Christ, right? Well, St. Pete says, all you have to do is spell one word, and you get in. She says, that's great. What's the word? Now, I'm not good at spelling, so if that was given to me, I'd be kind of trembling a little bit, you know, frightened about that. And he says, all you have to do is spell the word rose. And she says, you mean like the flower rose? Like the last, you know, rose of summer and the Texas rose and all that? He said, just the word rose. She said, R-O-S-E. He said, you got it, come on in. About a year later, St. Pete asked her, I don't know what he had to do, but he says, would you mind watching the gates for me today? And so she said, okay. And she hadn't been standing at the gates very long, and lo and behold, her husband appears at the gates. first thing she said was, well, I'm surprised to see you here. <laughs> then the second thing she said was, well, how have you been? How, how have things been going for you? He said, oh, life has been great since you died. He said, I married that beautiful young nurse who was taking care of you. He said, I won the multiple state lottery. Multiple state, uh lottery." And he said, do you know that little house we lived in? I sold it and I bought a mansion that my wife and I live in now. He said, man, we've been traveling the world. He said, as a matter of fact, we were at Cancun vacation and I was out water skiing and I fell and I hit my head, died and what a bummer, here I am. And he said, well, by the way, what do I have to do to get in? She says, well, all you have to do is spell one word. And he says, okay, what's that one word? And she said, chrysanthemum. All right, both of you got it, 845 and 11. <laughs> By the way, how, how would you go about spelling chrysanthemum? I have no earthly idea. It's written here. Ruby wrote it in my notes because I said I can't spell it. Correct it for me. She put it here, so there it is. Um, how do we know that we're not married in heaven? Now i got to speed this up, I know this. All right, if you look at write this down. Matthew 22, verses 23 through 30. Let me summarize that for you. Jesus has been teaching... And he's got Sadducees and Pharisees around him. Pharisees believe in the afterlife in Heaven and that everything that happens here will go on there. Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection at all. And so they thought they would throw this suggestion, this idea, this illustration to Jesus and they would trick it. So they said, okay Jesus, if there's a resurrection, the Mosaic Law says this, a man and a woman marry. They die, he has no children through her. The Mosaic Law says that then the next brother has to marry her and produce children. And he said, there were seven brothers in this family. Each one of them had to marry her without any children being produced. They all died. Now, in heaven, whose wife will she be? Now, let me tell you one thing. If I was brother number three or four, I believe I'd be going somewhere else to live. I'd be getting out of there. There's something wrong with that. She put away seven of them. Okay. All right. So, Jesus answers that and says technically, really he says, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like the angels. Now, let me remind you again. He does not say that we will be angels. We will be like the angels in the fact that we will no longer procreate. You know, we will be like the angels in that form. And you see, we we will be perfect. We will be full. We will be complete when we come to Heaven. And we won't need the marriage relationship for that completion and fulfillment. And another thing about that is, is we will be a bride. We're the bride of Christ. And we will be married to Him. So, a great marriage here, and they all ought to be, you ought to be working on them to do that, means that you'll have a better relationship in Heaven. You won't be married. But you have a better relationship, it'll be perfect. Trust me. I trust the Bible. Trust Jesus. OK? Now here's the third group. Now, what will our relationship be to others in heaven? OK? Well, I think number one, we will be who we are now. There's that permanence of personality, except we'll be different. All our little quirks. Everything that agitates everybody else, all the things that, you know, personality quirks and the meanness and all that kind of stuff about us and all the flaws about us, they'll be gone. But there will be a recognition of who we are. I think a perfect example of that is in the transfiguration when Jesus took with Him uh, um, Peter and James and John and they went up onto the mount and Elijah and Moses appeared to them. They knew that was Moses and Elijah they'd never seen them before. And years and years and years later there's Moses and Elijah there. So, they will recognize. There was that permanence of personality I call it. Except that you will be different. You will be perfect in every way. You won't be obnoxious. You won't be rude. You won't be angry. You won't be negative. You know, you won't be critical. You're not going to be there in heaven with all of that. So, you better get rid of it now. Alright, the second thing is, is we will enjoy fellowship. One of the places we will enjoy that fellowship is not only with the angels we talked about earlier. But with each other as the bride of Christ around the table. In Luke 22 when Jesus gave the the, the command about the Lord's Supper and introduced it around the theme of the Passover, He said drink from this cup, but I won't drink from it again until I drink it with you new in my Father's kingdom. He's talking about that time that He will sit down with us and we'll gather around that table and we together will partake of that cup and of that fellowship in the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then you go on into chapter 8 of of Matthew's gospel. And and the wording says, I say to you, many shall come from east and west, speaking of the kingdom, and recline at the table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And then we go to Revelation chapter 19, and beginning in verse 7: Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready, and it was given to her to clothe herself. In fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteousness acts of the saints. And he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So when we go to heaven, we're going to be in the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, here's the third thing I'll mention we will be reunited with family and friends, it will be a different type of relationship. It won't be the same family and friend relationship that we have here. We've already talked about that. But we will be reunited with all those who love the Lord. write this down to, you want to look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-18. It's a great resurrection chapter. Paul addresses the questions and concern about the new believers at Thessalonica who were wondering what's happened to those who died before us. Has the resurrection already happened and they gone on? Or will they meet us in the resurrection? What's going to take place? And Paul gives us that great, great illustration and the truth of that. that He talks about this is the rapture of the church where a trumpet will sound and a shout of the angel and Jesus Christ will come. And he will gather his church and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up with them together in the clouds and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So, the answer to that is, is all of our neighbors, all of our friends, all of our relatives, all of our coworkers, everybody who claims Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, we will be reunited in Heaven. Relationships will be a little bit different. They will be perfect. And, and I don't know what we will do exactly all that time in those relationships, but I think we will know each other, and we will celebrate that, and we will recognize each other. And I think about this, not just thinking about family members and friends who will be there. But think about what Peter, James, and John had the opportunity to do at the Transfiguration. They saw Moses and Elijah. Think about all those who've gone before us that we will also be able to recognize. Absolutely profound in it, mind blowing. Now, let me just give you one last word. Remember, this is a gated community, and it's a restricted area, and you have to have reservations. You have to have made a preparation because there's a place prepared for you. Have you done that? Some of you are probably aware by now that yesterday we had a death in the life of our church with Reverend Jim Salter, father of Jim Salter, Jim and Shirley Salter and their children members, long time members of this church. Jim's a retired pastor, spent 25 years at Temple. Jay Glasgow was with him on staff. Uh, Jay's been at the hospital during this last week or so of, of Jim's life, uh, Reverend Jim Salter Sr. And uh, yesterday he passed peacefully from this world and this life into the next world. But this It was such a a feeling of the Spirit of God in that room every time I visited. Because this was a family that knew the Lord, loved the Lord. And even as Jim was there and we knew that he was dying, we knew that when he took his last breath he would be in heaven and they were comforted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I got there yesterday afternoon, just a few minutes after he died, through one of the many things that they were talking about, they were talking about all the blessings that took place during that time. They were talking about the miracles that took place and they particularly talked about this one that they had an iPad and they had the music playing from, the, from that hymn, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There. And they had it placed on the pillow beside Jim's head. And just as the last note of that song, When the Roll is Called Up Yonder, I'll Be There, died, Jim Salter took his last breath here on earth and his eternal spirit went home to heaven forever. When you take your last breath, when they call the roll in heaven, will you be there? Are you ready to go? Good. Somebody is. <laughs> How about the rest of you? Have you made preparations, acknowledged Christ as your Savior, who died for your sins, confessed your sins, and accepted Him as Savior? See, that's the only way you get into heaven. You can spell rose, chrysanthemum, anything else you want to spell, that doesn't mean you're going to get in there. You've got to know Jesus Christ to save you. I think He'll be the one that will meet you at the gate instead of St. Pete. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the beauty and the glory and the wonder and the splendor of heaven. And even though You've given us descriptions of it, uh, we can only imagine what it will truly, really be like once we're there. So, I pray, Father, that there becomes a great anticipation and desire in the heart of every believer here, everyone who acknowledges Christ, that they are ready to go. And they are excited about the, the eternal life in Heaven. And for anyone who has not confessed Christ as Savior, not made the reservation in Heaven, that they will come and acknowledge Christ as Savior and embrace Him as Lord. And Father, I pray that through the movement and power of Your Holy Spirit. And for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.